Welcome to the Red Conrad's Bonus Podcast. I'm your host, Red Conrad of redconrad.com. If you enjoy the, this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly subscriber by clicking on the link or the button in the description of this podcast. All donations will keep this podcast up and running, as well as go to, towards our wellness fund, which you can read more about at redconrad.com. Or you can alternatively go to paypal.me slash R-E-V-D-R-R-E-D and leave a donation in any amount there as well. Now on to the show. How are you doing today? In this episode, I'm going to be discussing depression. Your depression is going to be covered in this first segment because I'm, I'm a little uh, frustrated with parents going over and over <clears throat> with their with their children. You know why you what do you have to be depressed about? Whether they say they're depressed or they're diagnosed by a psychologist or psychiatrist with the with the uh, form of depression, the attitude. What do you have to be depressed about? You know, I, I I pay the bills. I keep a roof over your head. I keep clothes on your back, food in your stomach. That isn't a good enough response. That isn't a resp- uh, that isn't an appropriate response. Children do have something to be depressed about. And it's something that you're not doing to express that love to them. Your your love, your concern, your care for them is what's causing their depression. I'll get to that in a minute. I want you to pay attention to what's, what's being what I'm going to be saying in this episode. The second segment. Is going to be covering depression in senior citizens. Both of these topics were already covered on the redcomrade.com blog. No, the, um, the one blog post is titled uh, Depression Knows No Age. The second blog post is titled Senior Depression is a Societal Issue. Uh, now getting getting to the point of this segment. This segment is youth depression. Alright, now I'm going to tell you about myself. I'm not pointing my parents in a bad light, alright? I want you to know my parents are the bad guys. They, they, I know that my parents love us kids. They did the best for us, but they did a piss poor job expressing that love for us. Uh, you'll hear why in just a minute. But now, since then, I have spoken to my parents about the past. We have a better relationship now than we did in the past. And I want to be understood that, one, no matter how good or bad your life is, how poor or wealthy you are, and what you are or are not providing for your child... You know, uh, item-wise, it doesn't matter. The pre- the, the, they can still develop depression, all right? There is no income bracket on this. It's all a matter of the attachment the child has to you and you to the child. That's what's going to cause or not cause the depression, regardless how wealthy or poor you are as a family, what your job is, etc. and so forth. Number one. Number two, if your child does develop depression, you can repair your relationship with your child. Like I did with mine, <laughs> but that repair relationship and your child understanding why things happened the way they did when they were children, when they were younger, doesn't doesn't erase the memories. It doesn't erase what happened, and it doesn't replace that lost time. That time is forever gone, and the damage is done. The, the child has to deal with that. 
just as I do, for the rest of their lives. The only thing that they can really do now is understand why it was the way it was and, you know, learn different coping skills so they can still lead a normal and successful life. But the damage is already done. So the best you can do as a parent is avoid your child from developing youth depression to begin with. Now, just so we don't, we, we don't uh, confuse, get confused here, I'm saying youth depression, so I'm talking about depression develops in minors, alright, this could be borderline, it could be bipolar, it could be dysthymia, it can be any one, a number of different depressions, but the depression is taking hold while a child is a minor. That's what I mean by youth depression. I'm not saying youth depression as as in youth depression is the name of a specific depression. I'm talking about any form of any form of depression that develops in the child as a minor. Okay. Now that being said, let me go into my story. When I grew up, my dad was my superhero. All right. I remember drawing pictures of his primary job because he had two three jobs growing up, but of his primary job. Uh, pictures of him. I wanted to be just like him, you know. Uh, I, I wanted, I craved positive attention from him. I wanted to be his world, okay. But that didn't happen. Why didn't that happen? Well, when he's home, the family's walking on eggshells because he's either screaming or sleeping. And if he's sleeping, you don't want to wake him up. If a noise happened in the house that woke him up, he's screaming at the house. If something outside happened that woke him up, he's screaming to all of us about that. Nothing's ever good enough or fast enough for him, okay? I get one bad grade in third grade. Up to that point, I was straight as a student. I think I got a B. And I got yelled at for it, for a B. Instead of trying to talk to me about it, what I did wrong, you know, what I didn't understand... That caused me to get enough answers wrong to get a B instead of an A. And and helped me with my schoolwork with some different tips or whatever to um, do better next time. Now, I got yelled at for that. And I got punished for that. Alright? Now, that coupled with other things that I outlined in the blog post titled I Am That I Am The Outcast. Can you understand why in third grade, because of that, I gave up. I gave up on my dad. I gave up on school. I gave up on everything. Um, and chores around the house. I was asked to do the chores. No matter how hard I tried, the chores were never perfect enough. Never got done fast enough. Whether I did them alone or I did them with them. And when I first got asked to do chores with with them for the very first time, you know, I was actually excited because now I get because now I'm I'm allowed to do it with them. Before that point, I always got told to leave them alone. I was in the, I was getting in the way. Now all of a sudden, I'm allowed to help them, and I loved that. Because like I said, he was my superhero. I wanted to do things with my dad. But no matter what, I couldn't do him perfect enough. I couldn't do it fast enough. And <clears throat> growing up, I constantly heard how much of a failure I was. I wasn't going to see nothing in life. <clears throat> Alright, so my time third grade rolls around. And I get this this poorer grade. I mean, it was B, I mean B's are still good grades. But it wasn't an A. My time that happened, and the reaction that ensued to that, I gave up. All right, because he also wasn't showing up to my little league games, wasn't showing up to my martial arts tournaments, wasn't showing up to my to my uh, scouts events. All right, so martial arts, I only made it to the purple belt. 
scouts, I only made it as far as the Weeblos, whereas my dad went on all the way through the Eagle Scout. I ended in the Weeblos. I, I didn't go any higher than that. And my dad was never there. And he always, on Saturdays that he wasn't working, he told me he, that, he, that he'd be there. But for one reason or another, he wasn't. Whether he overslept or where ran out to do chores or, you know, like my chores, I mean, you know, when, when shopping or took the car to the mechanic or whatever, not, not, uh, house chores, whatever the excuse was, he wasn't at my events. All right. And, and that took a toll on me mentally. <clears throat> All right. Because you need to understand a child, these may be minuscule things to you as an adult, but to a child, they're big things. A child learns how to love from watching their parents, how they interact with each other. A child learns how to deal with different aspects of life by watching their parents. All right. So when my parents and I got one that's responding with anger to everything, and I got the other ignoring everything. I'm basically being taught, you know, with life, you either ignore it or you respond with anger. You know, now, if my dad came home from work and ranted and raved about how bad work was and how upset he was at work, but then, you know, asked my mom how her how her day went and blah, blah, blah. Asked all of us kids how our days went, blah, blah, blah. Helped us to the best of his ability with our schoolwork. Helped us study. Whatever you know, just spend time with us watching watching a TV show or eating dinner with us. Whatever. There's a good possibility. One, I wouldn't have developed my depression, and two, there's a good possibility that the way my that I, a I would have still focused on school and gotten a, a lot higher GPA than I did, and my career out of right out of school would have gone in a better direction than it did. And when I finally decided to go into business for myself, maybe the first business would have failed like it did. Maybe not. But by the second or third, I would have paid enough attention to my first failure. And the second or third business, I wouldn't have repeated the same mistakes. And I wouldn't have voices in my head telling me I'm a failure, you know, slowing me down and getting in my way. All right. But because life went the way it did, all, all there was, was was negative attention. There was no positive attention whatsoever. I had to teach myself how to express love for others. I had to teach myself how to separate and deal with different emotions. I had to teach myself how to deal with different aspects of life. All right, because I didn't get that from watching my parents. My parents taught me to either ignore it or to respond with anger. Okay, so needless to say. My first few relationships I had were complete and utter train wrecks. All right, because I didn't know I didn't know how to feel loved or how to return that love. Okay, I, I didn't know much of anything from watching my parents. All right, as a kid. Then when I finally got a job, now mind you. Despite giving up back in the third grade, come my 16th birthday, you know, I'm still striving for my dad's positive attention, okay? So, my 16th birthday, I literally come home from school, drop my books off, and I went right out 
looking for a job and came home with a job that day, my 16th birthday. And I got a smile and a statement of shock and surprise, but not I'm proud of you. And that's the reaction I was looking for. But those words were not uttered. And beyond and after that day, after that initial initial surprise and shock was over, everything pretty much went back to normal, to, to the usual. And so because my whole life I'm hearing that I'm a failure, I'm hearing I'm not going to succeed at nothing in life. It's been basically instilled in me since I'm a little kid doing chores around the house that nothing I'm doing is good enough. Okay. I now have that going on first in my jobs and then in my businesses when I decided to go into business for myself. I'm striving to do my best, but no matter how good I do, it feels as though it's not good enough. Because I had these thoughts running through my head. I'm a failure. This isn't good enough. Etc. and so forth. Even though several of my jobs that I've had, my bosses told me that they loved my work. I had co-workers upset with me because of how good my work was, how fast I was completing my work, and the fact that in one shift... I'm managing to get my work done and I'm able to help several others, several others get their work done before the end of the shift. And then on top of that, I was always willing to stay late. On my one job, I think I was only scheduled to work a typical 40-hour work week, right? But every single shit, every single week, I'm putting in an extra four hours to my regular shifts, and then I would go in on a sixth day for an additional 12-hour shift. And my coworkers all hated me for that. They, they, they thought I'm trying to be the boss's puppet, so to speak. And now I'm robbing everybody, allegedly, of overtime because I'm excelling at my job. I'm willing to do the overtime. And I did a better job you know, then, you know, you know, than most of my coworkers did. So I'm getting all the overtime. You know, a few others were getting some overtime too. You know, there's no way, especially in the holiday season, me as one man wasn't going to be able to do all that work by myself. So there was a few others that were getting some overtime. But a lot of the people of the, my coworkers that weren't getting any or getting hardly any were upset with me because I did my job too good. And I was getting the vast majority of the overtime. Okay, so I was rewarded for how good I was doing at these jobs, but despite that, I still had these thoughts in my head from back when I was a kid that I'm not good enough, my work ain't good enough, I'm I'm a failure, etc. and so forth. Despite the fact that I'm doing exceptionally good, my coworkers are jealous of me, my bosses are, are praising me. I still felt not good enough. Then, when I decided to go into business myself, a few of my businesses didn't let... I had one that literally crashed and burned within the first six months, okay? Another one only lasted about a year and a half. And one after that, it officially closed uh, three years into the business. 
but it, it really only lasted roughly two years. And the, the last year of the business, it pretty much, it was a waste of my money. I'm trying to keep that business alive because it was just going nowhere. And I just didn't want to let go of it. Because no matter how much I enjoyed these businesses and how much effort I put into it, it was a combination of one, particular to one business I had, and the competition was just ridiculous. I was I was not going to be able to compete with the competition considering I'm trying to run these businesses in rural areas and <clears throat> I didn't do enough research into my competition before launching. And that was a big factor. Another big factor, particularly in this last business that I had, that went a good three years, but really only lasted two because at the third year, really, it was really going nowhere. I loved it. I enjoyed it. It was amazing. I felt good about myself. I felt good about the business. But it ultimately, ultimately crashed and burned because despite all those jobs I had, my bosses praised me for how good I was doing. Despite with this business, how many customers can I had that loved my my uh, work and were willing to you know pay whatever the cost was I I, I was charging. They were only buying this particular product from me, not from any of the competition. Despite all that, and despite the fact that I loved this business, I, I enjoyed it. It felt more like a hobby to me than, than a business, right? And despite, and despite just a few years prior, me having a conversation, a real heart-to-heart with my dad, and he finally told me that he loves me and that he's proud of me. All right, despite that, just a few years prior to this business, I still had those thoughts in my head. That I'm a failure. I'm not going to succeed at anything, etc., and so forth. And the business ultimately went to crap. All right, and that's really why I'm trying to share my story now. And one of the reasons why I got back into in the health and wellness industry after almost nine years of being out of it, because in this industry I am passionate about. And I've been, over the years, I have been learning more about myself. I've been learning different coping skills. And I've been learning different ways to combat uh, these thoughts uh, from that from my depression and from my past. I've been learning different ways to, to, to deal with that and, and to, you know, really fight, fight back at, the, at, those, at those thoughts. And so I can become... You know the success that I want to be, and I can have the life that I want to have. And through sharing my story, hopefully, um, be able to help other people that that are depressed. You know, make it through their depression and and become successful themselves, or to help people that feel depression coming along, avoid it altogether. Or in this case, because the topic of this this segment, help parents avoid their children from developing depression at least as minors because you know once they're an adult and they're on their own 
you're no longer in charge of what 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 is influencing their minds, what's influencing their lives. You really only have that influence while they're while they're you know minors living under your roof. Once they're on their own, you know that's their responsibility. So I'm basically doing this because I want to help people. I want to help people the same way um, um, I've been helping myself uh, recently and, 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 you know, share important information with people. Anyways, getting, getting back to the, to the subject at hand here. If my parents were more positive, right? When dad come home, rented and raved, but then, you know, that, that whole eggshell factor wasn't there. He was a normal, normal person. My parents were, you know, loving with each other. They were, they were, you know, loving with all of us kids. You know, we got help with our homework. We were able to go to them with our problems and talk to them about our problems. If we needed help with the subject at school, they they sit down with us and try their best to understand our schoolwork and help us with it. My life would probably be on a different road than it is, and I'd probably be more successful earlier on than I am now because I wouldn't have all that self-doubt going on in my inside my head. I wouldn't have to wake up every single day and day in and day out, every waking moment of every day, be battling myself, be battling against these thoughts in my own head because I know I'm, I know I'm not a failure. Okay, I know I can be just as successful as anybody else. Okay, I know that my life can be whatever it is I want it to be. Just for some people, it takes longer than it does for others. Some people, they're instant successes, whether they're climbing the corporate ladder or they start their own business. Some people are able to do that seemingly overnight. Other people, it could take 10, 15, 20 years to get to the level that they want to get that they want to get to you know everybody's different everybody has different skill sets different skill sets everybody's got uh, different learning abilities so they're able to, to so people excel in different areas at different rates of time so bottom line is if your child is telling you that they're depressed or they're, they're having suicidal thoughts or Whatever, or if they were diagnosed with a form of depression from a psychologist or psychiatrist, don't have the attitude, well, what do you have to be depressed about? Sit down with your child, ask them why they feel that way. Ask them what's going on inside their head that's making them have those thoughts. And I can almost guarantee that they're feeling that way because they feel you're not around. Alright, so, and if that's what it turns out being, help them with their schoolwork. Sit down with them and just have normal conversations with them. Well, let them come to you with their problems. Discuss their problems with you, as stupid as they may be, as they may sound. All right, because these these small little things make all the difference in a child's mind. And all these things will help express to the child that you do have love, care, and concern for them. Because like I said, they don't really care that you're paying the bills, keeping them housed, clothed, fed. That doesn't matter to a child. 
what matters is the experience. Are you helping them with their schoolwork? Are you someone concerned for their problems? Are they are they getting made fun of at school? Um, is the boy or girl they're interested in not interested not interested in them? You know, are, are stupid little things like that. Being there for that to help them through those problems, being there to talk them through these problems, sitting down and watching their favorite TV show with them, one of their favorite movies with them, simple little things like that makes all the difference in your child's mind. Those simple little acts can show your child that you do, in fact, love. Love them, care for them, and have concern for them. So, no matter how stressful work is, or how upset you are with them about things, be there for them. Work is work. You can rant and rave about how horrible a day you had at work. But don't let that anger and that frustration can be the only thing your child sees of you. After you rant about your about your work day, ask them how their day was. Ask them if they need help with their homework or if they need help studying for an exam. Spend time with them. Those simple things make a difference. And then if they do do something that upsets you, I don't care how small or how big it is. You want to be positive negative, not negative negative. In other words, yes, let your child know that that whatever it was upsets you, that you're upset with them. And by all means, issue a punishment, especially if it's something massive. Issue a punishment. But talk to them about it. Don't raise your voice to them. Because if you raise your voice, it's a negative negative. All they're going to be hearing out of that is you don't love them, you don't care about them, they ne- you now hate them. Even if they felt you loved them up to that point, you now hate them. That's how a child, especially the younger the child is, that's how the child is going to interpret that. But if you talk to them about it and express how upset that made you, but you still love them, you still care about them, you're still concerned for them, and because of your concern for them, you're now going to punish them with whatever the punishment is for whatever it is that they did. That they did. They're going to hear that yes, you're upset with them, but you still love them. They didn't break that love. Because nine times out of ten, and that is important, because nine times out of ten, whatever they did wrong that upsets you, no matter how small or big it was, they're doing that to get your attention. Because whether they admit it or not, they are feel they feel like you don't love them. So that act that they did that upset you, whatever it may be, was to test that theory to prove to themselves if you do or don't love them. So how you respond is now going to verify if you do or not. If you scream and holler at them. And there's no positive reinforcement whatsoever. You've just confirmed for them that no, you don't love them. No, you don't care about them. No, you don't have any concern for them whatsoever. 
And if that's and if that specific event is in your child's mind is the break is the breaking point of whether or not they're going to give up on themselves or not. You don't want that negative negative. You want them to to, to feel that okay, fine. Can I upset mom and dad? But they but they do love me. So come and deal with the punishment, but I'm not going to do this again. That's how you want your child to feel. Because nine times out of ten, that act is testing that is testing your love for them. Now and then, so and then after, can you get done expressing how upset you are and issuing the punishment? Can the very next thing you do before you leave them to be punished, and the calm, and before you leave to calm yourself down for whatever it was it did wrong. The very next thing you do after you express your upsetment and after you express your anger with them and the punishment for them for whatever it was it did that they did, you want to now ask them why they did what they did. You want to understand why they did what they did. And you don't want to tolerate it and I don't know. Because they know why they did it. Make them talk about it. The more they say, I don't know, or the more they try to avoid the subject, keep on reminding them that you do love them and that you do have concern for them. And it's because of your concern for them that you need to know why they did that. And if you get a little bit of information out of them, but they're not really being blunt about it, like they're not being straightforward about what, why they did it, they're kind of being around the bush, if you can get at least that far, then tell them, fine, you know what? This is what your punishment is. Like, reinforce what the punishment is. Remind them again that you do love them. And tell them that they have X amount of time, whatever time you want to give them, half hour, hour, next day, whatever, to calm down and think about and think about what they did. But then you want to know exactly why they did that. Even if you have to put in the stipulation that the punishment is not going to be over until they tell you why they did that. Because you need to know. Now, if they tell you it's because you're not around, ask them what they mean by that. Are they looking for you to help them with their schoolwork? Are they looking for you to to be at their extracurricular activities? Are they looking for you to be there just to talk? What are they looking for? What do they what do they mean by you're not around? Get get them to open up about that. And then whatever it is they say, whatever it is they're looking for, be there for them. This will all express to your child that you do in fact love them, care for them, and and have concern for them. And it will hopefully stop the progression and development of depression in its tracks. If they were already diagnosed with depression, hopefully the depression was caught quick enough and the child is still young enough that now you can rebuild your relationship with your child and the positive reinforcement can now cure their depression before you know they're going they're now old enough to go out on their own and lead their own lives. And believe it or not, these, these simple little things do make all the difference.
And if you don't want to take my story for it, you know, start start, start surfing around different websites like the mighty.com or uh, Facebook groups or other social networks that, that have groups about depression and anxiety. Then ask everybody when they were diagnosed or, or uh, pre-diagnosis, what's the earliest in their lives can they remember experiencing the symptoms of their depression? Can anybody who says that their depression kicked in prior to 18, all right, so basically if it kicked in from 17 down, Ask them why. What 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 went on in their life that they feel is responsible for triggering their depression, and see and see if they'll be willing to share their story with you. And I can almost bet that they're going to say something very similar to what I said. Their parents weren't around. Their household was walking on eggshells. There was no expression of care and concern. The parents weren't around. The parents didn't help them with their schoolwork. Nothing was ever was ever done good, done good enough. Or whatever parent it was that they idolized, that that was their superhero, that they wanted attention from, they couldn't get they didn't get the attention from. You know, they're always being brushed off. I can almost guarantee that's more or less what you're going to hear. Something something along those lines. Maybe not a hundred percent. Matching my specific story, but those general concepts. The parent wasn't there. They're always stressed out, always angry, right? There's no teaching or expressing of love in the direction of the other parent and or of the child. I can almost guarantee that's what you're going to hear from every single person you talk to that's been suffering with depression. Oh. So please, I, I can't, you know, put enough emphasis on this. Depression in children is real. So please, 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 if your child tells you they're feeling suicidal, if your child tells you they're, they're feeling depressed, or if a psychologist or psychiatrist diagnoses your child with a form of depression, do not, do not, do not brush it off. Do not have the attitude like, well, what do you have to be depressed about? That is only going to further push them away from you. And it is only going to further enhance their depression. And by that, I mean it's going to make their depression worse. Instead, sit down and talk to them. Try to understand. And whatever they say, pay attention. Because I can almost guarantee it's going to be something revolving around you and or your spouse. With you not being there enough. You're either not there, they don't feel that they can talk to you about their problems. Or you're not there to help them with their schoolwork or whatever. There's something that you're not doing. That they feel as their parent you really should be doing to to express that you have love for them, care for them, and concern for them. It's something that you're not doing that is causing their depression. So instead of having the attitude of, well, what do you have to be depressed about? Sit down and talk with them. 
Find out why they feel depressed. Why they feel suicidal. <clears throat> What's going on that they don't feel loved. <laughs> and then based on what they say in response to that. Start fixing whatever it is. Start doing whatever it is that you that you're that up until that point you weren't doing. And do your damnedest as a parent to repair your relationship with your child and help your child either A cope with or B cure their depression. So by the time that they're moving out of your house and they're going to tackle the real world on their own and, and lead their own lives, they have enough strength mentally and physically and they have a big enough support system between themselves you as their parents any siblings they may have and their friends they have that support network and that if they run into a problem and they need to talk to somebody about it that they have people they can go to to talk to about it and get advice without feeling like oh my god I'm a failure I can't do this and I can't talk to anybody because, oh my God, they're, gonna, they're not going to want anything to do with me. And they're just going to mock me. They're going to laugh in my face. And they're going to reconfirm for me that I'm a failure, etc. and so forth. Because, yes, this is how my mind goes sometimes. Yes, I have been, I have been educating myself about, about myself and my problems that I was diagnosed with. And I've been learning different coping skills. But... Unfortunately, the depression that I have is a lifelong illness. All I can do is cope with it. No matter how much coping skills I do, it's not going to prevent these thoughts. Instead, I got to be stronger than these thoughts. I have to have enough ammunition to fight these thoughts. Okay? You can do that for your child now while they're still young and living at home. You can make them so strong mentally... And, and build up such a strong support network for them that when they do go out, they can become successful far earlier than I did. They can live a they can have a far better life because they have that support and they have that strength inside their own head to combat those thoughts that creep up inside their heads trying to knock them down they got enough ammunition enough support enough strength to fight those thoughts and to keep themselves moving forward but that's entirely up to you and how you respond to your child's depression if you express if you if you express positivity and and show love and concern for them You'll be, you'll be able to build that up in your child. If if you're a new parent, you know take take this advice, take my story as a, a learning lesson. So, as you your child grows, you know how to avoid your child from even developing depression in the first place. Now, mind you, like I I, I believe I said back in the beginning of this segment. And there are some depressions, like bipolar, that is genetic. So if they're if they have a genetic predisposition to a, a depression, the depression could still get triggered at some point in their lives, and they could still be suffering from a form of depression at some point in their lives. 
for no other reason other than the fact that they were genetically predisposed. So no matter so either way my life went, I'd probably still would have developed bipolar. But I wouldn't have the other two depression illnesses and I wouldn't have the anxiety illnesses that I have. Had my life gone a little bit more positively influenced than it did. Okay. So, minus the fact of genetic predisposed depressive disorders, depressive illnesses, you can avoid your child from developing uh, depression in their youth by raising your child from day one and being there for them. Not just being a parent, providing them with a roof, clothes, and food in their stomachs, but by also being their friend. By being somebody they can come to and talk to when they're having problems. By helping them understand why they got such a poor grade in school. And help them uh, study and then do better for on the next exam. If they have a problem subject, to do you the best of your ability to understand the schoolwork and help them with that with that problem subject. Even if you can't do it at all. And maybe that was your problem subject too. So you wound up hiring a tutor. Be there with them and the tutor. Put in your two cents. Learn the subject alongside your child. Don't just brush them off to the tutor. All these things will be positive influences on your child. And it will show your child that you love them, you care for them, and you have concern for them. And they will they will learn about love from, from you by doing that. They will learn how to deal with different aspects of life from watching you, you know, talk with the tutor, by watching you, you know, how you associate with different people, how you deal with with your uh work, your stress from work. They're gonna learn all that these through these positive influences. And with all these positive influences, you'll be able to help make sure that your child will not develop depression while they're only a child. So they'll be as mentally strong as they can be when they finally leave home. And they'll be as ready as they can be when they finally leave home for to handle the real world. Because you did the best as you possibly can as a parent while they were growing up. You were there for them. Can you help them through their problems? Can you help them with their schoolwork? You spent time with them. All those simple little things will help your child develop a, a strong personality and be mentally healthy. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, listening this long to the first segment. That'll be a small break, and then um, I'll go into segment two, covering uh, depression among seniors. If you felt <clears throat> this first segment was not all conformative, please do me a favor and share this podcast episode with all your family and friends, especially if they have children, because like I hope you understand by now, with over 40 minutes of me talking about it, 
depression is a real illness. It's not just a temporary feeling. And depression amongst youth is very, very real. And more often than not, it pops up because of something the parent is not doing to express that love to their child. Granted, like I said, yes, it is possible. The depression that's popping up is a depression that runs in your genetics, and the kid and the child was genetically was genetically predisposed. They got the gene for the depression, and at, and at whatever point of their life the depression kicked in, depending on what kind of depression it is. But more often than not, depression in the youth is caused by something the parent is not doing to express their love for the child. So the child is now walking around feeling like mommy and daddy don't love me. They don't care about me. And they're now going to start doing whatever they have to do to cry out for that attention, for that love. And the more the parent responds negatively, the more it's reinforcing to the child that no, you don't love them. Which is only going to cause the child to do worse and worse things to cry out for that love. It all comes right back around to how much positive attention do you give your child? Are you there for your child? Can your child view you as a friend as well as a parent? Are you there to help your child through their problems? Are you there to help your child understand why they might have gotten a poor grade on, on a test and help them study to do better on the next test? Is your home environment a loving, warm environment? Or is it more like everybody in the family is walking on eggshells because either you or your spouse or both of you who are working are carrying home your work-life stress and frustrations and that's how you're leading your home life with distress and frustration. So there is no escape. Not for you from, from your work frustrations or for your children. Alright, thanks again for listening uh, to this first segment of this episode. Again, if if you got anything out of this episode, please share it with your family and friends. There will be a momentary break, and then I'll get into uh, the second segment discussing senior amongst depression. I mean, depression amongst seniors. Hello, if you've paused the podcast for a break, welcome back. If not, uh, this segment really shouldn't be all that long. <clears throat> no, I didn't intend on the first segment to be as long as it was. Um, but anyways, I do feel that senior depression is a societal issue, an issue that <clears throat> society created once upon a time, not that long ago. 
we took care of our families. Our parents, grandparents got older, and we took them in to live with us. They got physically ill or mentally ill. We took care of them. We were there for them no matter what. <clears throat> then in recent history, it started becoming a trend. <clears throat> they get ill, you send them to a nursing home, and you forget about them. And there's some families that put their parents or grandparents in a nursing facility, do do good, and show up and visit pretty timely. But the vast majority of families don't. Alright. Then you have this large crowd of, of senior citizens that are in these, in these facilities that are still completely competent. They might be gone, might be losing their eyesight or they might be losing their hearing. But other than that, they are still very capable of taking care of themselves. They might need a little bit of assistance with different tasks. But, you know, generally speaking, they can take care of themselves. I, I know people that their parents, or some some of them that only have one parent left, will go will visit their their parents at least once a week or once every two weeks, and bring pre cooked split up meals and stick them in the fridge and the and the freezer depending on what it is. <coughs> so when their parent wants to have something to eat, they just open the fridge and get ready to eat meal. Or if it's something that needs to be heated and it's in the freezer, they simply take it out of the freezer, defrost it, or warm it up, and good to go. They don't got to worry about cooking, they don't got to worry about uh, shopping, or maybe they go with just to, to sell the foods that they want, and then their kid or grandkid cooks it and prepares a meal for them, and brings it over to their house, and shoves it in the freezer and the refrigerator. You, you can do that too. You don't, there's no reason to put, put perfectly competent seniors into nursing facilities all right <clears throat> and this is a this is a growing trend and it really needs to stop then then there's instances too that uh you know people think that their parent or grandparent can start to get mentally ill whether it be alzheimer's or dementia because they lose a spouse and then now all of a sudden they're not cooking they're not shopping as often they're not going to their uh, activities like church or bingo or whatever else they they did throughout the week with it when their spouse was still alive because they're mourning they're mourning the loss of their spouse they're they're still learning how to cope without them around and this mourning process can go much quicker and much easier for your remaining parent and grandparent if you were there to help them and I'm not saying you got to visit them every day you know, a weekly phone call. You know, a visit every every now and again, every week, two weeks, just to check up on them. Maybe bring some some food over for them. Would would be all the difference in in how long they take to mourn and how well they adjust to their spouse not being around. But because in a lot of cases in today's families. <clears throat> We're not around for our grandparents or our parents. Family shows up for the funeral of the parent that passed away. And then back to uh, pretty much non-existence. <clears throat> Leaving the parent that is still alive to mourn and learn to cope all on their own. Now again, I'm not saying you got to be you have to visit your parents or grandparents every day. <clears throat> you can just call them. 
Let's call them. Once a week, once every two weeks. That may make all the difference. Because now your your parent or grandparent knows that you're still in their life. They feel they still feel loved by you. They still feel that they're part of your life. <clears throat> part of your lives. And that'll make all the difference in their mental health as well as their physical health. If they just recently lost their spouse, it'll help them get through the mourning process and they'll be able to adjust better, quicker. And you might actually add on years to their life by staying present in their lives. As I said, just just being present, allowing them to still feel like they're part of the family does wonders for that individual's mental and physical health. As opposed to if, if there's no visitations whatsoever except for maybe the holidays, no phone calls whatsoever except for maybe the holidays, now this person has to sit there the whole year feeling lonely and depressed because, well, are they part of the family still or have they been retired from the family? And that is not something that anybody should have to deal with at all. If you feel that way, then I'm sorry for it, but that is not something anybody should have to feel with, should have to deal with. Especially considering everything that these people have done for not just your family, but society as a whole. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I love hearing stories from my grandparents and my great-grandparents. I don't have too many memories of my grandpa Red. I think he was, I mean, I think I was a child when he passed away. But I do remember my grandma Lucky, my great-grandmother. And I used to love hearing stories that she told about her and my grandpa Red and how things were back when they were younger and what the world world was like. And she got in such detail with everything, I can almost picture it in my head. And some of the stuff that they witnessed was absolutely amazing. So, you know, you really should just allow yourself to listen to some of these stories. And you also got to realize that, you know, on top of dealing with depression from, you know, possible loss of a spouse, they could be dealing with lifelong depression since they were younger, whether it be bipolar, borderline, dysthymia, or some other form of depression or a form of anxiety. If they, if they were a veteran, they could be suffering from PTSD. That they've been suffering with their whole lives. Now, now they're dealing, on top of that, they're dealing with the loss of their spouse. That they've been with, what, 50, 60, 70 years? That's, that's a, a tough thing to do. That's, that's tough for anybody to, to, have to, to have to live through. Being with somebody that long and now all of a sudden they're gone. Adding that on top of a pre-existing condition. And then, you know, you also got to do, uh, come to terms with the fact that these people witnessed a lot. They saw the whole world change right before their very eyes. And I'm not just talking about dress codes and hairstyles. I mean, the world. I mean, just since I was a kid to, to now, which really isn't all that long. I grew up, there was no such thing as the internet yet. Kids still played outside, rode our bikes. We had, you know, the Game Boys, original Game Boy. 
then all of a sudden there's Game Boy Color, and there's the internet with the AOL with the dial-up, and then <clears throat> all of a sudden you got the Wi-Fi and faster internet, and you go from uh, then then all of a sudden there's cell phones, which then turn into the Blackberries, which then turn into the, today's smartphones, Apple and Android. You know, and that's just while I'm alive. Well, can you imagine what your parents and grandparents witnessed in their lives? Or how much more, if you're my age or younger, how much more yet we have to witness this world change? I think about the changing world, that's actually a pretty scary thought in and of itself. Right down to, you know, places that used to exist and no longer exist. Like in my case, you know, who remembers block, Blockbuster? Going to Blockbuster every Friday, pick out a movie to watch with your friends. Blockbuster no longer exists. Do any of you remember Busy Bee? My grandmother used to shop there all the time. And then, all of a sudden, there's no Busy Bee anymore. At least not where I'm from. I don't know if the chain still exists anywhere in the country at all, but a lot of locations are closed down, and at least where I'm from, there is no more. Or uh, Sears. Sears is, sh- is shut down. They might still have a few straggling stores still operating here and there, but for the most part, they're, they're pretty much shut down. <clears throat> I think the last Sears marginal area shut, shut down last month, I believe, or two months ago. <clears throat> uh, so, you know, now think about how many different locations your grandparents witnessed and grew up with they're no longer there so then they grow accustomed to another location that's no longer there now whether they're suffering with a pre-existing form of depression or anxiety or not you still have to have to look at it as well now I'm not describing everybody there are some families maybe yours that do visit their parents or grandparents often but the vast majority what I'm about to say is true like I said it's a trend that I see that is growing and if it wasn't a growing trend I might not feel the need to mention it and bring it up but I am noticing it as a a growing trend and I don't like it I don't agree with it and I don't see why families can't take care of each other like once upon a time we did up until recent history and in my recent history I mean real recent not that long ago um but let's deal with the fact that now you're grown you move out the house right now maybe you're still visiting your parents while you're going through school to uh, college get a job you have kids. While you're raising your kids, you're vis- you're still visiting your parents, taking your kids to see your parents, right? Now your kids are grown, so now you're slowing down your visits <clears throat> to your parents. Your kids are now busy with college or or jobs or starting their own families, so they're slowing down or completely stopping visits to your parents. So, over time, 
there's less and less visits and less and less phone calls to your parents or if you're my age your grandparents less and less more and more time in between each visit or phone call until eventually your parents or grandparents are lucky if they see you during the holidays so they're dealing with the, with the depression of now they feel lonely right they don't know what happened to the family the family fell apart and all they have is each other now after you know finally learning to deal with how now all they have is each other and they get all excited for the holidays because they're going to see the family or when you do call when you do visit they get all excited now they got the loss of a spouse Now let's now let's figure on the worst case scenario. They have a lifelong form of depression or anxiety since they were young. They then have to deal with the family more or less falling apart and pretty much looking forward to the holidays so that they can see the family again. Or get all excited, you know, middle of the year if they get a phone call or get a surprise visit. They learn they finally learn to cope with that, deal with that. And then all of a sudden, the spouse passes away. And if that's not bad enough, because they're trying to mourn on their own, and they're trying to cope on their own, no support from their family, then they wake up one day to find out that you're committing them can you imagine what must what must go through the? I mean, think let's think that was you. How would you react if your kid was going to put you in a nursing facility? And this is after <clears throat> a whole life you raised them, you got to see your grandkids growing up, and then all of a sudden you're nowhere to be found except for the holidays. Maybe you get a get a phone call here and there throughout the year, and that's it. Then your spouse dies. They come to the funeral. And then they're gone again. And then because you're having troubles. Mourning the loss of the spouse. And, and, and trying to figure out how to cope all on your own. A year, two years, three years later. All of a sudden your kid tells you. Guess what mom or dad. You're going to a nursing home. And when you try asking why, you're giving this, this, this nonsense reasoning while you're not eating as much anymore. You're rare, you don't go out to do whatever events you were doing anymore. You're starting to show signs of dementia or Alzheimer's. Meanwhile, you know for a fact that it's not that you're getting dementia or Alzheimer's. You're not getting mentally ill. You're upset. You're depressed. You're lonely. You were cooking for your spouse. You were doing these things with your spouse. Now that your spouse is gone, you don't feel the desire to do that anymore. And with nobody coming around, there's no desire to do it anymore. But you try arguing with the kid, and they don't want to hear anything about it. Because as far as they're concerned, you got the mind of a child. 
And they literally talk to you and treat you as if you're a child. How would you feel? How would that make you feel? That's basically what you're doing to your parents and grandparents. I want you to think about that. Especially if you're one of the, the families that no longer visit your parents or grandparents. Or you only see them for the holidays. <clears throat> I want you to think about how that would make you feel. I think it's about time we start treating our elders with the respect that we used to. They're part of our family, always will be. So if you're one of the families that no longer visits or calls your parents or grandparents, think about how that will make you feel. And get back in, in your parents' and grandparents' lives. Call them. Visit them every now and again. Allow them to be part of your life. And allow yourself to be part of theirs. And when they do lose a spouse, be there for them. If they start getting ill physically or mentally, to the point where they can't really live alone anymore, move them in with you or move into their house, depending on who might have the bigger house and the area and so forth. That's really a decision you have to make at, the, at that time. But move them in with you. Take care of them. Don't lock them in a nursing facility and then and forget about them. And while you're at it, to help end this trend of depressed seniors, while you're inserting yourself back in your parents' or grandparents' lives or allowing them to be part of your lives again, however you want to look at that, go to your local nursing facility and ask the people who work there if you can see the resident that doesn't get any visits from family or friends. Nobody comes by to visit them. And visit them. Whether it be once a week, twice a month, once a month. Visit them. <clears throat> Spend an hour with them when, when you go. Allow them to share their stories with you. Even if they have dementia or Alzheimer's, they will, over time, remember you. They might remember your face, not the name, or the name and not the face. It might take them a second to let it click. But the more you go and talk to them, they will remember why? Because you're showing love and affection for them. You're making them feel like somebody cares about them. And that is, will make all the difference to that person. And now when that, when that individual does pass away, they'll be able to pass away feeling loved. Feeling like somebody cared. Because you were there visiting them. You were there to talk to them and share stories with them. Just keep that in mind. Keep in mind how this is affecting senior citizens. And please, if you're not already calling and visiting your parents and grandparents often, please start doing so. More than just the holidays. And please, like I said, please consider visiting your local nursing facility Ask, and asking to visit a resident who doesn't get any visitors. And visit them. Now you don't have to go every week. You can, you can go twice a month, once a month. But at least once a month. And visit them. Share stories with them. Ask them about, about their lives. 
the stuff that they've seen. You'd be amazed what you can learn, not just about just about you know our country's history <clears throat> or about that particular individual you're visiting, but you can you can learn a lot about yourself too. Put yourself in, into some of their stories. And like I said, I used to listen to my grandma Lucky all the time. Tell her stories about how the world used to be and the different things her and my grandpa Red experienced. And then when I was a member of the American Legion, I used to love talking to the older veterans. Not just about the older wars, which some of them did talk about a lot. But some of them also spoke about how the country was back then and uh, what they did for work when they got back home and what the country was like when they got home. And it's just, it's, it's really fascinating stuff. And then when you realize how the world was back then and look at what it's become today, believe me, it, it's a mind opener. Mind opener and eye opener. Okay, you're going to start looking at things in a whole different light and you're going to start understanding things in a whole different way alright so uh, I guess I'm going to end on that note I don't really want to repeat myself but I gave you the scenario several different scenarios of why seniors <clears throat> are, are so depressed why people make these miscalculations about them in this growing trend I ran by a scenario past it of you know what would happen if it was unto you? I want you to think about that. And I really want you, if you're not already calling and or visiting your parents or grandparents more often than just on the holidays, maybe. <clears throat> start calling and visiting your parents and grandparents more often. And consider the idea of visiting a resident of a nursing facility <clears throat> that doesn't receive any visitors from any of their family or friends. Allow them to feel cared for by somebody. Allow them to, when they finally pass on, to pass on happy. Just just give it a little consideration. And on that note, I will see you in the next episode. If you got anything out of this podcast episode whatsoever, please do me a favor and share it with all your family and friends. And uh, as usual, the blog post version of this podcast is on the blog at redconrad.com. Post titles, Depression Knows No Age, and Senior Depression is a Societal Issue. Two separate separate blog posts. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Red Conrad's Wellness Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly subscriber by clicking on the button or the link in the description of this podcast. Your monthly donation will will help keep this podcast going as well as help support the Wellness Fund. You can read more about the Wellness Fund at redconrad.com. Or alternatively, you can 
uh, leave a donation at paypal.me slash r-e-v-d-r-r-e-d. Again, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Red Conrad's Wellness Podcast. I really do hope you enjoyed listening. I will see you next week. God bless.